Welcome to the Insider Outsider Podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders around the globe about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WMFDP and FDP Global specialize in helping insiders understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders, as well as outsiders, in partnering and building inclusive teams and organizations. I'm your host, Michael Welp, co-founder of the diversity and inclusion leadership development firm WMFDP and FDP Global, also a TEDx presenter and author of the book, Four Days to Change. So welcome to another episode of the Insider Outsider podcast. We have two great guests and an interesting topic today. Na Vong Sandoval is uh, a returning guest who was on a podcast on Asian American Pacific Islander topics, gosh, a couple months ago, I believe. Uh, Na is a Vietnamese refugee and a refugee Congress delegate for Colorado. She and her family fled their homeland due to the Vietnam War and became refugees and were displaced in refugee camps before settling in the U.S. and were known as the boat people. And now currently serves as the investigator at the Colorado Department of Law. Her prior professional experience has included serving at the State Homeland Security Office, specializing in counterintelligence, counterterrorism, as well as working with an affiliate at faculty at two different universities. As a refugee, now embraces her heritage and refugee experience as empathetic to the plight and struggle of other underrepresented communities. She's an active in a number of advocacy roles, including recently being a TEDx presenter, which I'm excited about. It was fun to, fun to watch that. And our second guest uh, is Fiona Sui Lin Price. She's a award-winning public speaker, has been working in the intercultural field for over 20 years. Uh, her mother is Malaysian Chinese, her father's Anglo-Australian, and she speaks Mandarin and French, is founder of Globalize Consulting. Is that? Globalize. Globalize Consulting and uh, author of Success with Asian Names, which is uh, a powerful resource. And that's actually the focus of our session today is pronouncing names properly and the importance of that. And um, I am myself a learning in the learning process. And Nat and I did this podcast before and I had to re-record it three or four times. And you were very, very helpful in sticking with me and sticking with each other to, to get that. And um, so I just want to open it up. And um, this is an informal conversation. It's like, What's your, what do you, what's your perspective, either of you on, you know, why is it important to take the time to pronounce names properly? What happens when people don't, how does that, how does that impact you and others and what you see in the world? I think you're, sure. yeah, go ahead. I'll let you start with this one. Yeah. Thank you. I'd like to respond to that, Michael. And thank you for the yeah. introduction and uh, Fiona, thank you for being here as well. Very excited to hear your perspective on this as well. Mm. So why is it important to support and pronounce names properly? Well, for my background, as with millions and millions of immigrant and refugees, 
It's one of the very few things that we were able to take with us when we fled our homeland. And for someone to try to either water it down, change it, minimize it, or completely eradicate it, that's very, not just hurtful, but it's extremely disrespectful to not allow someone to be themselves, be seen as who they are, and, and be heard and be called by their birth name. Again, that's an identifier that it stays with you for you the entirety of your life, from the moment that you enter into the world to the moment that you leave this earth. And to not even allow that person who has lost everything to hold on to something that is so significant and personal. That person who is not acknowledging that is making it about themselves and not acknowledging the person that they're inflicting this otherness to. So it has so many different connotations to me, but most significantly, it is who we are. It's a part of our identity. It's a part of our lineage. It's a part of our heritage. And it certainly is who we are. Thank you. my perspective, what I'd like to do is take a bigger view. So I wanted Ngata to start because there was a more personal flavour to that. When I, the way I came into names, I was looking at it from a more sort of, from a training perspective. One of the things that I was doing in my work was trying to shift people, shift people's attitudes and make them more embracing of cultural diversity and of people who are culturally different from themselves. And the reason why names are very important is because one of the reasons why I began working in the names area is because I found a lot of distress among university staff who genuinely wanted to engage but were hampered by the fact that the very first point of engagement with somebody is usually their personal name. And if you can't get past that, it's very hard to make a meaningful personal connection if you're stumbling at the very first, the very first step, which is being able to exchange names. And it's personal connections, which I've found, tend to be one of the most powerful factors in being able to shift people's attitudes. I've actually seen a lot of interviews with people who started off having very discriminatory attitudes towards people who are different from them, from other cultures, people from other races, and nearly always the sort of epiphany, the moment which they actually started to shift their attitudes and have a more inclusive attitude, was usually a personal connection with someone from the group that they were feeling uncomfortable with. And the thing about the name is if people can't use the name, it's very hard to start that personal connection which can actually shift people. Yeah. I love that. Both of those, you know, it's part of the identity. It's, it seems like for me as a, as a North American white male, it's like, I have, first of all, I'm embarrassed when I don't get a name pronunciation, but I also am like, do I expect to get it quickly or something or what, you know, is there something, so there's a humility, but there's also, uh, you know, it's like a, I've seen in, uh, in people, this is an attitude of somehow you're causing me a problem if I can't pronounce your name or something. Is it? And to, to me, it's like, I got to show up with humility. And even if I feel shame or whatever, um, now it's like, you know, even when we came back on this podcast and, you know, you had to correct me again on the name because it, what it was it four months or so. And I'm like, you know, here, here we go again. I'm like, I'm not, I don't know what that's like for you to have to, um, find it right. It's like, where, where is my, where is my system or processor where I can have a way of keeping it in a way that, you know, where you don't have to continue to do that mm -hmm. you know, over the next years. And, you know, it's like, 
So there's still learning on my part. Huh. I just own that, you know, I don't want to have to have you do that. I want to be able to be better at this. Well, one of my starting points for developing systems for helping people pronounce names more or correctly, I suppose is the word, was acknowledging that it's not necessarily going to be easy for people. Mm-hmm. One of the issues, if you're looking at someone, if you describe yourself as a, a white North American man, is that a lot of people who are native English speakers are monolingual. And often when they see a name, and they're used to dealing with names that they're familiar with, and they're also the dominant cultural group. So there's a sense of, I should be able to manage everyone's name. And they see a name which isn't from their language, might have combinations of letters that they don't know how to pronounce, and sounds in it which aren't necessarily going to be in English. Actually acknowledging that it's actually not necessarily an easy task to hear hear a name once or twice and be able to reproduce what you're listening to. So Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, rather than condemning people for finding it difficult, I thought let's take the pressure off the person with the name to be an informal pronunciation coach and having to sort of have that burden on them. And I started providing a service on the side to help people pronounce names, to take the burden off the people with the names and help them practice and acknowledge that not everybody is an instinctively good linguist or mimic and that needing to give people the time, rather than giving making people take the time, the people who have the names taking the time, me developing the skills I needed to teach people off, off the record, as it were. So the next time they see their colleague with a name they struggle with, they can say it easily without having to tell that person, sorry, can you pronounce, help me help me say your name again when they've already done that before. Mm-hmm. You know, in mm. response to what you had said, Michael, uh, there, were, there are very key steps in recognizing that humility because it's so needed. Mm. Uh, and also, Fiona, you make a really good point is that most people in North America are monolingual. That's the dominant society. That's the dominant culture. So I remember after giving my TEDx talk, which focuses a little bit on the name pronunciation and how that connotates for the person receiving that information and how we feel when it is repeatedly mispronounced. One of the arguments I heard from the person who is trying to say the name is that, well, foreign names are very difficult. We are not used to hearing these these words and the dialects and the, the tonal. And I my response to that is I had to learn the entire English language. Mm, mm, I did mm. not speak a word of English. So to, to look at that, to look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself why you're getting so frustrated with immigrants yeah. and refugees not being able to speak the language, not only fluently, but without an accent. And yet they're not able to even pronounce one mm, single mm, word mm. in a different language of yeah. another person's language. So to me, that's not an excuse anymore. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, some would even say that there are refugees and immigrants and those from other countries who speak English better than native, quote unquote, English speakers. So it's yeah. really a matter of, mm-hmm. are you listening? Are you valuing that person? Are you mm-hmm. recognizing the differences and not using that to weaponize and other someone? How are you taking that into context when you approach someone with a different name? Or are you basically saying, I really need to work on this? It's a moment mm. of reflection and a moment of self-improvement because mm. we all have room for that. But mm. to continually mm. make that mistake and then have this high expectation of someone mm. else who is speaking the language, but it's not perfect mm-hmm. and not giving them the grace mm. that you're wanting from other people, that to me is a is a travesty and yeah. that needs to be corrected. It's a very entitled 
attitude, as in I shouldn't have to struggle with things that make yes. me uncomfortable and might embarrass me. Yes. And yes. again, flipping it to the mm. person that they're dehumanizing by mm. doing this repeatedly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. making like as though that's their defect, that's their shortcoming, when it's really a matter of the, their ego and their pride mm. Mm. of yeah. not trying to recognize the fact that you're not trying enough. You're not listening mm. enough. You're not you're not respecting that person enough. Not putting themselves into mm-hmm. their shoes and really mm. making the other person carry the guilt and the burden mm. of having to um, anglicize their name or, or drop it completely. Mm. Mm. Or accept very approximate pronunciations of it. Yes, mm. absolutely. Mm. But I still do say that it can actually often take a lot of coaching and a lot of creative techniques to get someone, even someone who doesn't come from a position of entitlement, someone who really doesn't have a good ear for mimicking. I used to be working with university professors. I'd be coaching them before they read the names of graduation ceremonies. And there'd be people who earnestly really meant to pronounce the name as well as they could, and they were struggling. And I remember spending, I'd spend five minutes with someone on one name. I think the person with this name, they should not feel obliged to spend five minutes but it took me five minutes with this man to get him to pronounce the name correctly but he took that five minutes yeah so that's not coming from a position of entitlement that's a matter of how difficult he found it to listen to hear and I was coming up with all sorts of different spellings and trying to get him using English words and trying to say okay so if you take the ng from this word and, mm-hmm. and move it here so this me taking that burden the thing is I have a lot of experience with it it's, it's actually my job I get paid to do that Whereas the person who has that name, it's a, it's a burden that's being placed on them, people that sort of, right. and I think that's, it's unfair to expect them to carry the burden and have to be this kind of pronunciation coach for yes. people. And I totally agree with what you're saying wholeheartedly. Mm. My, I think, to take it a little step further and to look at it with, I, I think, a, a bit of a different lens and a different take is if I'm driving down the road and I see something. I see a car that is really nice and I'm driving along and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to scuff it a little bit. I'm just going to drive and hope it scrapes on it, but I'm that kind of person. Or the second scenario is there's ice on the ground. I drive and I slide into the car and I scrape the car. Whether it's inadvertent or Mm. advertent, the damage is the same Mm. to the person receiving that Mm -hmm. action. Mm-hmm. You know, there'd be the person who is the recipient that has to deal with it, whether it's like you said, it's not malicious, it's mm. completely it's well intended, mm. but then there could be maliciousness as well. But the mm. result is still the same. Yeah. I still hear it the same way. I mm. still mm. Am, am impacted by it, regardless mm. of how good their intentions are. Mm. So mm. that I think is an important component to address as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. But what I try to do is give them the tools to do a better job. Mm-hmm. To give them, to give them the information they need, to give them the practice they need, also ways of remembering it. People often don't have those access to those tools. They can't make those sounds because they've never spoken a language which has those sounds. So either I try and teach them to say the actual sound, they can't do that, in trying to find the best possible equivalent that they can say. And are the tools generic, and uh, or are they really specific to each language? In terms of uh, giving people some concepts or ways of starting to think about it? Well, the tools tend to be, it dep- I have a number, a range of tools that I use and it depends on the individual which tools work best. Mm. So what I'm often doing is I'm writing phonetic notes for people 
So I'm writing it for a native English speaker. To, and so if they read out this phonetically according to the English pronunciation rules, they'll get something which is a reasonable approximation of the person's actual name. So if I'm doing if I'm doing doing writing notes, then I have to do that in a reasonably generic way. But that's one tool that I give people. But if I have a one-on-one, -on -one, if I get to do actual one-on-one -on -one coaching with people, I can do exercises. Like for a name like Nga, what English speakers are unfamiliar with is a syllable starting with an NG. English native, native English speakers can pronounce NG, but it's always on the end of the word. It's ring, sing, thing. But when it's on the front of the word, they've never seen it there before and it kind of derails them. I often find when I'm trying to teach people how to say it, they'll say Nya instead of Nga because they're instinctively are not used to seeing an NG on the front. So one of the exercises I used to do in my pronunciation workshops, oh, well, I still do it in my pronunciation workshops. Now, this works better in Australian English where you don't, when you pronounce the word singer, singer rather than singer. But um, I'd say, okay, say the word singer. And they go singer. And I go sing, singa, singa. And I'd say nga. And they'd instantly go nya. <laughs> so I can see that it's not intentional. It's a kind of almost a little loop in their head which says I can't have a syllable starting with ng. Mm -hmm. So that's that's quite inadvertent. I mean, whether they're not they're denting that car, they don't mean to. And I'd have to train them into saying, being able to say nga without the si and the singer. Wouldn't work so well with an American English, which has a, where you pronounce the R at the end, you say yeah. singer, but it works quite well in Australian English. So that's an example of a tool that I use to teach people mm -hmm. to say a name like yours. So, Fiona, I'm curious, though, mm. it, what are some of the key points in people being successful at these techniques? And what are some of the key points that make a person unsuccessful that you've seen? That's often where, well, there's there's two points. One, one, one is under people's control. One, one is attitude. If there's this entitlement, these foreigners are causing me so much pain and embarrassment. Why should I have to, why, do, why can't they have normal names like us? Why don't they just adopt a normal name so I don't have to be embarrassed? That I have little patience with. Yeah. The, other, the other one is, is genuinely, it does seem to be, when you're learning a foreign language, some people are better at imitating accents and sounds than others. There genuinely seems to be a capacity among some people which is greater for pronouncing and imitating, having a better ear, having a better capacity to kind of reproduce the sound that they've heard. Is humility a big component? Humility does help. Some mm -hmm. of the people, well, usually the people that actually hire me to coach them, that's not a problem. They hire me because they care. They don't have to hire me. It's not compulsory. And yeah. I've noticed the difference between people who have a good attitude and people who don't. Yeah. People who don't, don't have a good attitude who think, well, why should I have to? You know, they can, they can deal. You know, if they come to this country, you know, they, they get the, and often there's this sense of entitlement. They should be feeling grateful to be here without having to embarrass me by making me pronounce something I don't know how to pronounce. They should have a normal name anyway. And, and that, after that's the, that. Yeah. After they go to you, then they go to me. <laughs> then they go to you. And then it's yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember once getting a phone call from a, from a television network saying, oh, we've got to read out the names of these Chinese swimmers at the Olympics. Oh, dear. <laughs> and I said, all right. So I had to take them through how to, pronounce how to make all the sounds. But little things like pronouncing the X in a name from China. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's levels of which people can do it. I mean, if people are struggling, I say just pronounce it like an English S-H. X-I-N-G, say Xing. Xing, don't say Xing. That's using the English pronunciation of X. Use, use an S-H. If they've got a sort of, if they seem to have a slightly higher capacity that for making new sounds, I'll actually teach them how to make a sound in between an English S and an English mm. a, SH. So I say, say, and they say, and then I say, shh, and then move from a to a shh. Okay, stop your tongue halfway through. Xing, xing. That's how you make that sound. But I have mm. to take them through that exercise. They don't know, how, they hear that sound, but they don't know how to reproduce it. So I teach them how to reproduce it so they can pronounce the name correctly. 
Otherwise, I say, if you, if you really can't do it, say she. That's a lot closer than yeah. what you've been saying to saying in the past. You know, you know, I was just thinking as you were telling me these techniques, Fiona, mm. that I should have kept a list of everyone who has ever insulted me and mispronounced my name into a list, a compile a list, and then send them to you, like for a <laughs> master course or, of some sort. That's and then right. it, would, it would make everybody's lives so much more serene mm. if we mm. had an expert like you to intervene right. and to bring right. bliss back into our lives. Mm. That would be wonderful. Look, the thing is, I have had to come up with these techniques because yeah. it's actually my job. It's not your job now to teach people how to say your name. I mean, it's a burden that's being placed on you, which is kind of excessive. Whereas it may, for me, I've actually had to come up with ways of teaching people how to say unfamiliar sounds. So, I mean, yeah. feel free to send that list through. <laughs> I'm going to refer them to your book from now on. Mm-hmm. Move forward. <laughs> yeah, so good, let's, good. Let's, let's talk about that. You, you um, wrote that book, Success with Asian Names, and um, Nan and I were both curious about what was the impetus for that? How, how did you come to create that? Which is a well, great it, really, it really started out when I was unexpectedly promoted to manager of a little cross-cultural training centre at the University of Melbourne. And uh, this is my first professional job and I was suddenly in charge, which was quite daunting, and I was asked to create initiatives to help university staff, to support university staff in their work with international students. Australian universities have in the last you know, 10, 20 years had huge amounts of international students and a large proportion of those are from Asian countries. So I went out and I interviewed 50 or 60 university staff and asked them what they would like support with, anything they were finding challenging. And I think something like maybe 55 out of 60 people said, do you know what we really struggle with, we'd really like some help with? And they said Asian students' names. We can't pronounce them. We can't remember them. They coach us on how to say it, and the next time we see them, we've forgotten. It doesn't stick in our heads. They say it, and I can't reproduce it. I say what I think sounds exactly like what they've told me their name is, and they say, no, no, oh, never mind, just call me Cindy. <laughs> and they, and a lot of them earnestly meant well. So I say that it's not because they're deliberately driving into your car to dent it. It's really because they slid on the ice and their car crashed into yours. So I thought, okay. And at first I didn't think, well, I'm here to look at, I thought, I thought I was going to be looking at racism. I thought I was going to look at managing language barriers. And I thought initially I didn't take it very seriously, but I had such a large proportion of people saying it was difficult. I thought, look, maybe I should come up with an initiative to help them with Asian students' names. Mm-hmm. So I got a list of the top 10 most spoken Asian, names on, Asian languages on campus. And I developed a, a three-hour workshop teaching people how the names are structured, so which parts which, which fits the surname, if there is a surname, and not all Asian names actually have a surname, and what the parts are called, and how to pronounce them. So I'd get a list of common names and I'd drill them and I'd use my techniques to how to pronounce them. I even taught them how to use tones uh, in Chinese. I had a tones in 10 minutes promise to teach people how to use tones correctly. And my workshop was a smash hit to my great surprise. The word got around, word of mouth got around. And my little training centre, I started honestly getting four or five calls from all the different faculties at the university. And, and as I was saying before, I'd get these calls saying, oh, hi, my name's Jan and I'm, I work at the Faculty of Engineering. I've heard that your centre runs a workshop on Asian names. Oh, how do I organise to run this for the Faculty of Engineering? We have so much trouble. So I was running more and more of these workshops and I was running 10 or 12 of them. And I actually thought to myself, hmm, I have a viable product. So I ended up quitting my job and starting a business, running not only training in cross-cultural communication and how to communicate across cultures and manage language barriers, but also I had this very booming side. My most popular program was working with Asian names. And eventually, so I started teaching 
you know, running running those workshops. And I, they got longer and longer and they became a full-day program just on Asian names. And I thought, look, I can't fit any more in. And people were asking me, how about titles? And oh, what about when, when a woman gets married, does she, what does she do with her name? And I thought, I can't put all of this in the workshop. One day is enough. No one will be able to justify doing more than one day, one day of training on Asian names. I thought, I'll have to write a book. So I you know, submitted a proposal to a publisher and they called me in three days saying, we want to publish your book. Mm. So then I had a new research research project on my hands. I had to kind of research names deeply enough to be able to write it into a book. That's awesome. Mm. Three day a three day approval is a pretty fast response. That's awesome. <laughs> Unusual topic. I suppose one thing I didn't talk about is how did I get all that information? And really, there wasn't any source of information where I could get the depth of knowledge that university staff members needed for their work in a single source. There were mm -hmm. lots and lots of sources which had deep information about one Asian language, but the one which would give enough information for 10, I really couldn't find. So I needed to interview native speakers of those languages. And because mm -hmm. I was working at a university, I had access to educated native speakers who were also bilingual and spoke good English, and I yeah. just went to the graduate school and said, can you find me native speakers of Thai, native speakers of Vietnamese, native speakers of this? And I started by basically interviewing people about the names in the country, their country of origin. Mm. And they had to teach me how to pronounce them so that I could teach yeah. other people. So I had to be very good at mimicking people and recording things and writing down notes. So that was really yeah. the start of my process of learning how to coach people because I had to start by coaching myself. They had to coach me, but I have got a good ear for languages. So it was easier for me. And I had to break it down, think, how am I doing this? Why is this a lot easier for me than it is for a lot of the native English speakers that work with people from Asian countries? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> that is a great resource. Um, success with Asian names. And um, gosh, it sounds like we need a Fiona on in every city. <laughs> and, I agree. You know, Maybe someday there'll be an AI version of, you know, here's a name. How do I pronounce it? Oh. Um, people can ask Alexa or Siri or something. I know there's some, there's some uh, efforts in um, uh, at, in Amazon at Alexa's to help um, preserve native languages around the world oh. using Alexa's. There, there are some websites. There are some websites which you can type in a name and it can oh. give you, if you're lucky, it'll give you a native speaker yeah. giving you a reading. But often there are regional variations. Yeah. There are levels of being anglicised. I mean, someone in Australia, if I'm reading a name at a graduation ceremony and someone has a Dutch mm -hmm. surname and, and the name is a more generic Anglo-Saxon name, I think you're probably not pronouncing your surname in Dutch. You've probably anglicised it. But it's very hard for me to know how. I can find the original Dutch pronunciation quite easily, but mm -hmm. finding how they've shifted, how they prefer to have it done, there's, there's, it'd be very difficult to do it 100% accurate AI version because yes. there's not 100% consistency. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, North and South Vietnam, as I would know, names are often pronounced differently in different dialects, effectively, of Vietnamese. And I receive a Vietnamese name and I think, what can I do? I mean, if I, unless I get contact details, I can't contact every person graduating individually and ask them, mm. are, are you Northern or Southern Vietnamese? How would you or like Central. to pronounce it? Yeah, because we mm. have three regions. So, Mm. There's even a central region that I mm. barely can understand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. So the same thing could happen with you. I mean, you could pronounce someone's name as you would. I mean, are you? I presume you're Southern Vietnamese, or yes. yeah. I mean, you could get you could be reading a, a name in Vietnamese, which I presume you speak, but you could pronounce it in the Southern way, and you could person could have a central, could be speaking yes. a central Vietnamese dialect. You could inadvertently pronounce it 
not the way they prefer. Absolutely. Mm. And vice mm. versa. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a question that's uh, uh, sort of adjacent to names. Now, in your experience, I've been curious how, when is somebody being curious about your background and your experience as a refugee, a boat person, when is that helpful or intriguing? And when is that actually something you don't want to speak to? Or how do you sort that? What, you know, do you want people to ask whether they can ask you questions? And, you know. No, I appreciate that question. And it's very valid. Because uh, no matter how long I stay here, there's always someone or a group that considers me a foreigner, you know, the perpetual foreigner uh, theory and concept that's very real. So as far as my refugee experience and story, I'm one of those people who love questions, but it, there has to be good intent behind it. Mm-hmm. Like I know sometimes when I'm giving, I, I give a lot of talks, I speak in the community quite a bit, whether on um, podcast similar to this or in big rallies or on panels or for media, Uh, you know, there's various venues, but there, there are common themes where I think it's appropriate to ask these questions is when I bring it up first, instead Mm -hmm. of just assuming certain things, because I fall into different categories, you know, like for instance, um, Uh, I'll have an event where I'm speaking about uh, my journey here and some of the transition as newcomers that are similar and different than what refugees now experience and the duration that are much longer than when I had came over and stayed in refugee camps. And if someone were to to further that by asking things such as, well, what's needed right now? How was it? How did how did your family adapt? Those sorts of things. I don't mind because it's very much in line with what mm. I'm trying to educate and convey mm. and share mm. and hopefully open people's hearts to mm. compassion into mm. really assisting in the ways that is most helpful to refugees, immigrants, newcomers, asylum seekers, what have you. And then there are the other questions that I <laughs> that I get mm. that are not so friendly, that are mm. not so altruistic, mm. that are more to prove a point to themselves, mm. to prove a point to me, to put me in mm-hmm. my place mm-hmm. as a superiority context mm-hmm. that's given mm-hmm. um, to, to validate their role in the war because they served in the war or a family member has served in the war and to justify the intervention of why the U.S. was there. And mm-hmm. really to me, that's, highly inappropriate telling a person whose primary reason for being a refugee, staying on a refugee camp, being on a cargo ship and not knowing when, if we would ever reach safety, thrown into a completely different environment, not knowing the language, not knowing the culture, not knowing the community, and having to console someone who's military industrial complex caused us to have to flee, mm-hmm. caused us to have to lose everything. I think it's a very um, myopic viewpoint mm. and it's extremely um, egocentric mm. <laughs> to, to ask the victim of a situation to make you feel better for your actions and something mm. that you clearly had involvement in. So yeah. that's when I think it is, it's almost like the perpetrator of a sex offense. 
asking mm. the sex of uh, you know the sex victim to say, oh, it wasn't that bad, right? But you're okay now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's highly inappropriate, I think. Yeah. And I know that that's being done because there are still unfinished business to them that they need closure or validation mm-hmm. somehow. Mm-hmm. But I'm, it's highly inappropriate to be asking a refugee that question who was profoundly impacted by that situation. And instead, ask what they can do to rectify and resolve what's going on and the impact that still remains in my homeland and so many different countries. You know, Agent Orange is still a very big factor in the ecosystem for my homeland Mm -hmm. where it still impacts impoverished families, children who live along the Mekong River because it's still in the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. And so there's tremendous, tremendous need because of the physical, physiological and psychological damage that's done when you ingest biochemicals mm. into your system that mm. they're not mm. even thinking about because they want to be right. They want me mm. to be the one who's telling them, you know, it's okay, but it's mm. not okay because mm. millions mm. of lives are impacted. Mm. And so I think there needs to be, and like what you had mentioned, Fiona is, and, and you too, Michael, mm. when you lack the humility, you don't center the person you're talking to anymore. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're centering yourself and yeah. how you yeah. mm-hmm. can validate your own opinions as opposed to listening and understanding why. That's probably not a good question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love the framing of that around what, what are you centering? And it has me thinking about how many refugees there are in the world right now. Yeah, there's, there's currently over 26 million refugees in the world and over 80 million people displaced worldwide. Oh. So it's a very urgent matter. It's the biggest mm-hmm. humanitarian crisis in the world that still impacts people. Yet there's still people who reshift the focus to themselves and how they can feel mm-hmm. better about what's mm-hmm. going on, as opposed to people who are truly impacted by this travesty, this, this crisis right now. Yeah. Hmm. Thank you for that. Anything else either of you want to share or ask each other when we start to wind down our time a bit? I just love everything that Fiona had said about being surprised at what need there was for this Hmm. and recognizing that people do need a reference, a tool Hmm. of sorts and skills Hmm. because they don't want to be embarrassed, like you said, Mm. and having Mm. to ask and having to keep repeating themselves incorrectly. Mm. And, you know, I I, I want to add to that. It also has an impact when you're sitting in a space where you have many, like like for me, when I, I, because I serve on Refugee Congress and we have delegates from 26 different countries, over 60 of us on Refugee Congress. And I'm the delegate Mm. for Colorado, Mm -hmm. but I've noticed that even in conversations, the ones with the different names never get called on either. Mm, so that's yes. a form of othering. That's a Absolutely. form of othering, like minimizing yeah. them into that space and not welcoming them into that space. Mm, it has yeah. effect. Mm. It, it, it may not even bother them if it's happened one or twice, but I'm thinking it's mm. happened to them hundreds of times, mm. like with me. Mm. And what that means psychologically when you're mm. supposed to be in a space that's welcoming and yet it's not. You know, mm. wherever that may be in 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 your day to day routine, however that looks, yeah. it can actually be a major career impediment. 
I have a friend who is Chinese. He has a Chinese name, not especially difficult to pronounce, but I think psychologically it creates a barrier. He said people would be scared to kind of call on him in meetings because it means they need to use his name. People would be reluctant to introduce visitors and new colleagues to him because it meant they needed to say his name. They, he said that they would actually dodge him because they didn't want to have to greet him because they couldn't say his name. He said it became a major obstacle in my career. I couldn't connect with my colleagues. Yeah. I couldn't connect with people who were visiting. And eventually he adopted a Western name, he said, for career reasons because mm. it made me more accessible. It made it easier for people to connect with me. You know, just to, to you know, what you just said, I mentioned in my TEDx talk as well, is that there have been major surveys and research done by Ivy League schools that basically said when, and I mentioned this in my talk, is when people with foreign names apply, they're not even considered in the applicant pool at all. They don't even pass the process of being interviewed. They're automatically excluded. They could be the most Mm -hmm. skilled, the most qualified individual. But because of that, preconceived notion or stereotype or the awkwardness that the person feels when they see it, they're excluding a highly skilled, Mm -hmm. potentially highly Mm. qualified person based upon their own biases. Mm. But you see there what's in it for them to learn, to improve their skills. Just think of what a talent pool you're missing out on because your staff are scared of being embarrassed by having to Mm. call up someone and ask for them by name and not knowing if they can pronounce it correctly oh, let's throw him out and get John Smith instead because I don't know how to pronounce that person's name. I feel too embarrassed to call him up. When I hear you tell that story of one of your colleagues or your friends who had to change his name, my my heart drops a little when I hear that because mm-hmm. I know he didn't do it because he wanted to. It was a necessity. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. it's just very disheartening when I hear that happening to people because a name is beautiful. A name is just so personal mm-hmm. and it connects to so many things and it connotates so many things about yourself and where you're from and who you are and your family and your ancestry. I, it, it breaks my heart when I hear that people feel so compelled to do that because others aren't don't have the tolerance or patience. It made me feel compelled. Look, let me into your workplace. Let me get all your colleagues together. Let me coach them how to say your name. It's not that <laughs> difficult. Right. <laughs> mm. I think when I when when a leader makes an effort too, it's an important modeling for other leaders too to do that, as opposed to avoiding it or somehow you know trying to find out. It's like it's back to that humility, that attitude. What am I centering? And yeah, and I am sorry that it has that you've had to work to help me get your name now in the, in our time. Well, I appreciate you expanding this to a broader conversation because I'm I know 1000% that you're not alone. <laughs> mm-hmm. That there are others who make a conscious effort and concerted effort to do this properly out of respect for the other person. So I appreciate the fact that you want to use this as not only a learning experience for yourself but the broader community. So I really appreciate it, Michael. Yeah. One thing, one question you gave us, Michael, which I think is probably worth answering, mm-hmm. is that what suggestions or tips do you have for when you don't yeah. know how to pronounce a name, person's name correctly? People are very motivated to avoid embarrassment. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, here's, I mean, I'm very open to any suggestions from Nga if any of this doesn't resonate with you. What I said is it depends on the context and the person, but I'd say show respectful interest. If necessary, you can say, look, 
I'm, I would like to pronounce your name correctly. Are you happy to help me? And if someone's really over it, they can say no, and then I can give you some suggestions on what you can do if the person is, has, has been is very tired of being unpaid pronunciation coach and not getting any traction. But if they, if they did, there's various things you can do. If you have it written down, often it helps a lot of people if it's, they see it in writing. And if they get the person to say it, you can write your own little cheat notes. Mm-hmm. I have tips on how to write better cheat notes too because I write a lot of them. Um, right. One of the things that I've sometimes done with a name that I need to say in the graduation ceremony, which I can't pronounce, if I can get a recording of the name, then I have something to practice with and listen to. Mm-hmm. And learning how to write things phonetically in a way that makes sense yeah. to you makes a lot of difference. It also gives you something to remember it with. If, you, if they don't want to play coach or you don't have the opportunity, you've got to ring them up. There are quite a few websites. There's a website called forvo.com. Type a name into that. And if you're lucky, you'll get a little list of recordings of native speakers saying the name and you can practice off that without having to burden the person whose name it is. Um, I'm very happy to be contacted. (laughs) What was that website again? Forvo.com, F-O-R-V-O.com. That's one. There's quite a lot of these websites. There's also, I mean, these are things that I have to do. I get get 12,000 names. I've got to write phonetic versions. I cannot contact everyone individually. So I have learned a lot of techniques for figuring out a name pronunciation without being able to contact the person and get them to coach me. I'd prefer that because then I know if there's regional variations or if they prefer a different pronunciation, but I can't. I I physically cannot ring 12,000 people. So the other thing is identifying whereabouts the name is from, what language it's from. Often a simple Googling will help you identify that, oh, that's a Vietnamese name. Oh, that's a Hindi name. Mm -hmm. Or you can go into Facebook and use it as a search engine. If you find Google that name and you can find out, usually it's very obvious when you look at their profile, it'll say whereabouts they're from. And then there are pronunciation guides online which have little audio recordings that you can use. Mm -hmm. These are all techniques that I use myself. I love all your techniques. And I think if if people would just use just even one of those techniques, our Mm. lives would be so improved. Our quality of life Mm. for those of us who have quote unquote foreign names Mm. would be Mm. Just a lot more blissful, I think, in order to thing, not put the, the labor on us all the mm, time. Yes. The other thing is, I mean, one of the other things that I have acquired in my career with name pronunciation is I've got consultants who are willing to, t- to spend that time with me. So if I get a Scandinavian name, I have a Danish friend. I sort of text, I say, Rick, help, can you help me with this one? And he sends a little recording of himself reading it. And I have mm. someone who speaks a number of Indian languages. And I send yeah. this through and you look at it and say, oh, this is Telugu and it's pronounced like this. So he can tell me as so I can see where the stresses lie and how to pronounce the vowels. So that's the other thing I do. I outsource. I outsource to someone who's a native speaker who can help me. That's awesome. I love all of your recommendations. Yeah. And I hope people take it to heart. But um, I'd like to add just a couple more that mm-hmm. I think are helpful in my experiences is the way if, if you reach a roadblock or a barrier in the way that you're not able to pronounce it, take a step back a little bit mm. and recognize the way you're asking that person too. Because if you're sounding frustrated and you're sounding um, condescending mm. or, or entitled in the way, it, mm-hmm. it's going to make the situation worse, a lot worse. Mm than what it should be. And it's a very simple situation. So give yourself a little bit of a moment and see how that is coming off to the person hearing this message too. Mm. Because again, you can have the best of intentions, but if the message is being received very hostily, Mm -hmm. 
it's not going to help your situation. Mm-hmm. And it certainly isn't going to help the person who's mm-hmm. receiving that or hearing that information. Mm-hmm. I always prefer people ask mm-hmm. yes. because there, there was one, I, I'm, I'm going to share this with you because it's kind of funny is there was one mispronunciation that I didn't mind because it sounded really cool. They call me ninja. And I'm like, I can, <laughs> can hang with that. That's pretty cool. I, I can I can roll with this one, even though it's way off, you know. Uh-huh. But I eventually corrected them again because they had a desire, a sincere desire mm. to do yes. this correctly. And that goes a long way. Yes. Yeah. That, genuine interest. Genuine. Yes. A genuine Respectful interest. interest. Yes. Mm. Not make it as though it's some sort of shortcoming on our part that we have this exotic or bizarre or strange name. Make right. it something beautiful mm. that you're asking us and w- you'll mm. be received in a very positive mm. way. And that improves yeah. the relationship and the mm. experience mm. too. It's a beautiful opportunity to express care, respect, curiosity, hunger to know, to see right. you. It's mm. not some contagious disease that we have, you know, don't treat mm. it like, oh my gosh, I don't want to even get close to this. I don't want to try it. I don't want to experiment yeah. with it. I just want to get away from this. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Treat it something respectful, you know, some some delicate vase or some 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 delicate flower or mm. something that you cherish or you think is beautiful. Treat it that mm. way or or ask yourself, how would you want your mother or your grandmother with a different name to be asked by other people? Ask mm. that person in that way, that respectful, that kind, compassionate manner. How would you want your mother or your, your grandmother or an, an elder to be asked? And if you're yeah. not asking in the way you want them to be asked, then you probably don't have those intentions in mm. check. And one thing that saddened me, I recently did, uh, I read out the names of the convocation ceremony for new surgeons. And that was one where I was fortunate enough to get the contact details. I had the email address of all of the people on the list. So I could email and say, what intonation is your Chinese name? Can you tell me how you'd like the surname pronounced? And so many people said, oh, thank you so much. Nobody's ever asked before. Mm-hmm. And that was very that was very saddening for me. And I thought, look, your name, most native English speakers are going to look at your name and feel a bit challenged, feel a bit uncomfortable about pronouncing it. Mm. Why hasn't anybody ever asked before? That's right. It's one thing if they ask, if you ask and that person doesn't want to play pronunciation coach, but people don't even bother to ask. It does imply a lack of interest, a yeah, lack of... It's not important enough to me to bother. Yes. I, I have to tell you, there was a, a recent panel that I had moderated, and one of the panelists is from Burma. She's Karan. And before I even started, I said, can you please pronounce your name for me? I would really, I want I want to be respectful of yes. your name. Mm-hmm. And the, her first response was what you said, Fiona, was no one has ever asked me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and there's, again, there's that humility mm-hmm. that I have no problem with asking because I want to show that I am one respectful two I'm interested and three it's not about me it's about that person yeah I think also that comes back to the conversation about tools one of the other things I do is I try to give people tools for cross-cultural communication to make it easier to do that engagement to actually ask that question because often people are sort of feeling nervous and self-conscious, and that impedes their ability to engage with someone and do things like ask them how to pronounce their name mm-hmm. and figuring out how to navigate, do I ask this person about their heritage or is it not appropriate to do that? Just feeling comfortable, feeling confident, feeling empowered, giving people the tools to feel those things mm-hmm. makes a lot of difference. 
Awesome. Thank you so much, both of you, for, for joining and sharing your wisdom. And wow, Fiona, it's great that you want to be out there as a resource around this. And I, I love the metaphor of taking the burden off of others, too. Mm. And the resources. Yeah. Now, thank you for your stories and your experiences and your wisdom. It's uh, great to be anything last, any last words, any of you? No, I appreciate both of you and your perspective and Michael, your willingness to uh, get my name right. I, <laughs> that really was the inspiration for this entire yes. podcast. <laughs> exactly. and, and, and Fiona, I wish I could clone you and put you on every <laughs> continent that we have so that we can just use you as a resource, you know, for folks. And uh, I definitely, again, I will definitely inform people that your book is something that's extremely important if they're struggling mm-hmm. with that. Yeah. Well, at the moment, I'm trying to. Sorry, at the moment, I'm I'm trying to look at how I can offer name pronunciation tips in some form of online training program. So I may be able to come up with something to help people to use some of these tools that I've developed to help people and kind of convert them into into something which can be accessible worldwide to people to help them improve their pronunciation of names. Sounds great. That's Mm. awesome. Get you in every place of the world. <laughs> Every um, time zone you can think of. That's right. <laughs> Give it a shot. I need some uh, North American dialect coaches. It's one right. of some of the tips that I use in Australia are not going to work in North America. Uh-huh. You pronounce it yes. Yeah. And I like how you you even said North American because people just say America, but yet there's more than one America in the world, and that's and again mm-hmm. another another sense of like you said um, yeah. superiority. Like we're the only ones in the world, but we're not. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate yep. you doing that as well. Yeah. I try to do that as I try to do that when I hear America. Mm. It's mm-hmm. to, to, to put things into context that there's another continent with our same name. Mm. It's a little, you know, on the southern side. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. Blessings to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for having us, Mark. Thank you for listening to the Insider Outsider podcast, where we have courageous conversations with business leaders about what it means to be an insider or an outsider in their organizations. We at WFTP and FTP Global specialize in getting insiders to understand their unique responsibility to engage other insiders as well as outsiders in building inclusive teams and organizations. Our work takes us around the globe, transforming people and companies towards a more inclusive world. For the show notes about this podcast and more about the work of WMFDP and FTP Global, visit wmfdp.com slash podcast.